Liz Hirschnoff-Tolley, and welcome to Capital Coffee. I am very excited because today we have a wonderful guest, an amazing elected leader, somebody with incredible stories, and that's why we're doing this program, because there are so many elected leaders that have really incredible stories and are special people and are working really hard. And the reason for this podcast is to not speak with those elected leaders about politics and policy, rather about heart and humanity. So through this podcast, I really hope that people out in America, across the world, are going to have an opportunity to get to know these amazing leaders. And I think about it from like the perspective of the human genome, which basically says that 99.6% of everybody on this earth, 8 billion plus people, are the same, but the difference is 0.4. And my question is, what is that 0.4% that makes people different? And how can we actually celebrate our differences and not find ways to come apart? So I was thinking about today, and just recently I had an amazing opportunity to speak with Dolores Huerta, who is one of my personal heroes. And she is a civil rights leader, and she is a national American labor leader, in 1962, she and Cesar Chavez started the American Farm Workers. But before that, she was a school teacher, and she saw these little children that would come to school very hungry and without shoes. And she realized this wasn't how it was supposed to be in America. And so through this work and through the work through the United Farm Workers, she really revolutionized the experience. And I think back when I was a little kid and we didn't eat grapes, and my mother said, we cannot eat grapes because of Dolores Huerta and Cesar Chavez and what they are doing for farm workers. Now, while she was doing this, she also had 11 children, which is pretty amazing. And when I saw her the other day, she was 93 years young, looking amazing, and I said, why are you doing this work? What keeps you young? What is your secret? And she said, there is a lot of work to do. And one of her famous expressions is, si se puede, which means, yes, you can. And today, I am so excited to speak with Wendy Gruel, who is a former LA City Councilwoman, our former LA City Controller. Wendy has been of service and a public servant in Los Angeles for over 40 years. One of the things about Wendy is that she's always there when somebody needs something. She knows that there's a lot that still has to get done. We'll give you a little bit more background on Wendy, but first I want to say, Wendy, thank you so much for coming to have coffee on Capital Coffee. Love having coffee, as you know. <laughs> I know. I said, Wendy, we're meeting in the afternoon. Can you have coffee? And she's like, I can have coffee all the time. All the time. So thank you and welcome. Welcome. I'm glad to be here. So you are a former council member. You are a city controller. And then you have served on many boards, including LASA, which is the Los Angeles Homeless, Service Homeless Services Authority. You've served on the Cube, which is a museum for young kids. You also serve in Cal State University Northridge Nazarian College of Business and Economics. And really, truly, like Dolores Huerta, you are always saying, si se puede. So thank you so much. I'm going to take you back to the beginning of Wendy time. So you grew up in the San Fernando Valley. And it was a special time, different than it is now. And I would love for you to take us back there. I mean, some people may think of it as like the time of licorice pizza. But tell us what it was like to grow up in the valley, in the San Fernando Valley. It was great. Uh, I mean, it was not only suburbia. You could ride your bike. Your parents would say, go off. And you would, you know, be gone until it was dark and then, you know, bring your bike back. It was a great place to be able to, to grow up. And I think for my 
parents who had a we had a family business in the valley and both my parents worked in the San Fernando Valley they thought it was you know utopia in a way and for me it was and had a wonderful experience in public schools I jokingly say that I am a valley girl the movie that you know became famous was after I left the valley but I do believe proudly that I was born and raised in the San Fernando Valley you may have been the influence for that Maybe <laughs> when I was a true blonde. Yes. yes, yes. Tell us a little bit about high school. What was it like to go to high school? And did you have any interesting or awkward moments that you still go, oh my God, I can't believe I did that? Well, yes, there were a few awkward. I won't tell them all. But I did uh, go to John F. Kennedy High School. Um, it was uh, supposed to open in 1972, but because of the earthquake, actually it was supposed to open in 1971, and it opened in 1972. And it was a, a great campus. It was one of the early sites for busing. Needless to say, there were lots of kind of challenges, but I, I think also wonderful experiences being there. I enjoyed the diversity of the of the student body, and it was a place that I was able to do well academically. I was, you know, active and I was student body president and I was a cheerleader and I just, some of my closest friends are still my best friends from when I was in high school. I love a cheerleader and student body president. I you was were already a renaissance woman well, back then. <laughs> I, tr I tried, but it was a, it was really a great campus, I had great teachers. So let me talk a little bit about teachers and a little bit about high school because first I would love to hear about a special teacher. But I also would like to pair it with when you were in high school, you were on a youth council for then Mayor Tom Bradley. And then you went to work for Tom Bradley as an intern in college, and then you went to work in his office. And we can talk a little bit, and I'd love for you to share about Tom Bradley because he was a very unique leader in Los Angeles' history and I think in a con our country's history. But I'm going to back up a second because Mayor Bradley said in a quote, he said about himself, a loving, caring teacher took a liking to me. She noticed the potential and wanted to help shape it, which I know was very meaningful for him, but I think it's very meaningful for a lot of folks. And so perhaps how did you get to be on the council and what teachers were special? And I know that Mayor Bradley was very special for you. He was. And, you know, the, the reason I was able to go in the Mayor's Youth Council is the vice principal of, of Kennedy High School nominated me for an award. And then I met Tom Bradley and there was this youth council and I applied for it. And that vice principal saw something in me that thought, you should be part of this. And I had an extraordinary, you know, math teacher. I had a history teacher. And a few years ago, I was lucky enough to be on the Wall of Fame and saw some of my old teachers. One or two of them actually was still teaching. Amazing. Um, but those that had retired and still, though, believed in that school because it was, for many years, there were not many high schools built. Yes. And for like 30 years, it was the last high school built in Los Angeles. And you're on the Wall of Fame. I am on the Wall of Fame. Very cool. Yes. I think the only woman, I don't know, maybe after what they've added a, a woman or two, but it was mostly celebrities and athletes. So I felt very proud of that. I'm going to skip ahead, but can you just talk a little bit about Tom Bradley and what he meant to you as a leader and to our city? We'll come back. I want to come back to family, but since we're on that, that was really part of your education. It is who I am because of Tom Bradley. And when I, I met him, you know, look, we lived in the San Fernando Valley. And at that time, as we talked about, you didn't kind of go outside of the valley. And here I was going downtown as this internship. And I met this wonderful mayor. And he was unique. And I think the way not only that I conduct myself before I was an elected official and working for people, but even when I was elected official, he was a role model because he was one of those people that got his energy from doing the right thing. He got his energy from meeting people. And 
I used to say I, I went to work for him because every day I knew I could make a difference in someone's life, whether that was getting a stop sign in a neighborhood, whether that was helping put, you know, build a homeless shelter in a particular neighborhood. And he was way, you know, before his time. And, you know, he was the first African-American mayor of a major city, the second largest city in the country. And I always, you know, wish I was a really good writer and I could write a book about him because there's never been a really good book or a really good movie. There's been a great documentary, but he really broke barriers. And a lot of people are where they are because of what he was able to do. And I, for me, he believed in young people. I was just, you know, 21 years old when I started working for him. Yeah. And he was a visionary because a lot that I think we have now is because of what he did. Absolutely. The metro, you know, a, a vibrant downtown, the fact that we have an international airport, the fact that he never th forgot about the San Fernando Valley, which right. is a really important uh, piece of leading the city. Yeah. I'm going to switch back a little bit now and go to family. So you have a husband, Dean, and he is a very supportive husband. And I, I know there's some funny stories about when you first met, but could you tell us a little bit about having a strong husband, but also having a husband that's really a supporter of a woman with an amazing career and in the public eye? Well, as you know, I'm, I met him while I was running for office. And I, I think if you are doing your dating as you're walking precincts <laughs> and he's helping you raise money, you know, that's a true commitment. I love to tell a story about my, my mom, who was a true inspiration for me and, and was so supportive. But she did tell me when I decided to run for office uh, that I was never going to get married or have any children. I was 40 and single, and it was it was all over. And so luckily I was able to, you know, meet uh, my husband, Dean. And the thing I like about him is not only is he supportive of me, but he's not a shrink and violet. You know, he is his own person. Mm -hmm. And I think he supports me, but he's part of me, and he encourages me, and he pushes me. Even till this day, that kind of partnership is so unique, and I, I really value that we have that kind of relationship. And I tell young women, wait for the right one. That is so important. And even that was a long time, I found him. And, and he was worth the wait. He was worth the wait. Now, he was not so sure about the fact that he was going to have to live in the San Fernando Valley because he lived on the west side, Was came from St. Louis, and he was kind of like, I, I don't know about the valley. Uh, but now he is the biggest proponent of the San Fernando Valley. Yeah. And together you have a beautiful adult son, Thomas. And what is the hardest part, and because you also weren't elected and you were raising a child while working, what is the hardest part of being a parent, and what is the most rewarding part about being a parent? Well, it's the best thing in the world, and I always wanted to have children, and my friends would always say, ah, you're working too hard. And I said, just because I work hard doesn't mean I couldn't be a good parent. Right. So, look, it was challenging to be able to have a child within my first year of being in elective office. It was one of those things that you were either criticized. For me, if I didn't come back soon enough to the city council after having my child, I'd be a bad council member. If I came back too soon, I'd be a bad mom. Yeah. And so for my son, you know, he knew no different being born into this, you know, profession, I guess you'd say, of right. being a politician. Going on the weekends, we went to events and we went to different places. And I think he is who he is because we took him to churches all over Los Angeles and, and, and to synagogues and to events. And he listened and I think has patience and can talk to anybody now because of that. And I, I think that we have taught him also that the important role you play is to give back. Your parents taught you that same thing. This is not just about what's in it for you. It's about being part of a community. And so I think that he has 
learned a lot, and I will I will tell you that I've I've talked to a lot of politicians, women who are running for office or have a child run office or before, and I met a congresswoman recently who ran when she had an eight month old, and you could tell she was choked up about it, wondering well how her kid was going to turn out, and I said you know I have a twenty year old and. 99% of the time, he's pretty good, but he turned out okay. And in fact, wonderful. I think he's who he is because of being an elected official. Yeah. I appreciate all that. But the most important thing in your family, we haven't discussed or we haven't discussed him, is Cooper. Is Cooper, yes. So I, I know that Cooper pretty much rules the roost. Could you just tell us a little bit about Cooper and, and Cooper's relationship with everyone? Yes, well, Cooper's our dog. You know, after the mayor's race, I had told my son, win or lose, you get a dog. And so we were at a, a, a local uh, rescue place right near Arts Deli in the Valley. And we went in, and, and my husband had grown up with big dogs, a standard poodles. And I was like, I, I think we need to get a smaller dog for our house. And he was like, small dogs don't have personalities. And we <laughs> went in. The dog jumped up on me. It was all over. And, of course, it's now been just over 10 years that we've had this dog. And, of course, who was he closest to? My husband. And even though I'm the one who picked him out... Of course, when I reach over to, to talk to my husband, touch him, my dog barks at me, or I guess it would be his dog in that moment. When he leaves, he cries. So he's a big part of our, our family. And I think everyone, when you can have a pet that's part of your family, you know, pretty special. Very cool. What is the worst advice you've ever received and the best advice you've ever received? So I would say... You know, part of the worst advice may have been from my mom, who said I'd never get married. Right. So that would probably be the the worst. But I didn't get to tell you this part of it, which is on the day I got married, there was a big story in the Daily News that said, Gruel proves mom wrong. And I really appreciated that and have yeah. a picture of her reading it. But So that would be the probably the, the worst advice, as well as not being able to win. Like, don't do it because you, you know, you're not going to be able to win. You yeah. can't do it. So that yeah. would be the worst. The uh, best and worst, I, I love this part of the story, which is someone who said when I decided to run, your friends will disappoint you and complete strangers will amaze you. Yeah. And that was hard to hear. And I thought, oh, no, everyone's going to be there. And, and it really was true. And there were complete strangers who walked precincts and made phone calls for me I had never known. And then there were some friends who just, that wasn't in their DNA. And, and that's hard when it's about when you're running for something and you're so public about it. Yeah. And I'm going to say something, which is also know that you don't always win in politics. And I've spoken with many leaders who have history of losing, winning, winning, losing. And I think that one of the pieces that I really respect greatly about you is that after being a city controller, you did run for mayor. You did run for other offices. And it didn't work out. But you never stopped keeping yourself in the game, and you went right away and supported the other people that won those elections. And I say that because I think that not everyone does it, but those who do it really show character and show strength and show why people are actually elected leaders, which is, should not be about themselves, but should be about the greater good. So I just wanted to point that out. I think that is a really good point, and, and I'm, I'm lucky enough to serve on the National Board of Emily's List, which helps women, you know, run for office. And it's challenging because we're told you can't do it. It's not your time. It's going to be hard. And, you know, one of the stories that I'm embarrassed to talk about is the fact that when I was a senior in high school and they gave these awards and one of them uh, was lucky enough, it's most likely to be president of the United States. And so someone asked me, are you ever going to run for office? And my response was, embarrassingly, was, no, I'm going to marry a politician. 
Ugh. And it, it, yeah, you cringe it's just when cringing. you think of it. Yes. It's cringeworthy. But unfortunately, at that time, we did not look at women as being the president. It's changed. No. There weren't that many elected officials. There weren't those role models. And that's why it's so important to to be in a position and say to people, one, here's what happens. Here's the truth. Here's how you balance things. If you win, pick yourself back up. If you lose, still be active. I and mean, people say to me, you're still involved and engaged. I was like, well, I didn't And making di- a difference. Well, thank you. But I, I, I didn't die. I just lost a race. So here's yeah. and here's why we give back. We didn't run just to be the elected. You, you ran because you wanted to make a difference. Yeah. And, you know, Shirley Chisholm said, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. And that's kind of got to be the philosophy for a lot Absolutely. of people that are running, and it's not always gonna it's not always gonna be easy. But you just still kind of bring yourself to the to the to the table. Absolutely. Who is the biggest cheerleader in your life when things get down? My husband. Yeah. My husband. Okay, if you all could go anywhere, you and your husband Dean could go anywhere in the world. Where would that be? Oh, it has to be safari. We okay. have not been on one. He wanted to do it for a honeymoon. I nixed that idea. I was I wanted a relaxation, you know, relaxing a honeymoon. Right. So that is on our to do list. Okay. What is your favorite meal? Just gonna ask some random questions, just so people can get to know you. You mean the kind of food to eat? Yeah. What kind of food? What would uh, be your if you were had to pick one meal? What would it be? Burger and fries. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's Sorry, a I know. Yeah, that's, I love it. But that, I, you know, a good burger and fries, I, I, if I could eat that every day, I would. But I can't. No. And what is your favorite music? Wow. Well, Elton John is my favorite. So I, you know, I my first concert was at Dodger Stadium when he came, um, that infamous concert. And I saw his last concert at Dodger Stadium recently. So I like a little bit of everything. My husband's a classical, you know, uh, enthusiast and plays the violin. And so uh, we do a lot of things with classical music. But I like the, you know, kind of days of Elton John. I love that. Speaking of the Dodgers, so I know you're a big Dodger fan. I don't think everyone else in your family is a Dodger fan. How does that work? And what team do they support? They are not. I still have my Dodger bonnet from when I was four, just saying. But my husband is from St. Louis, and he early on influenced my child to be a Cardinal fan. And so when he was young and we went to a Dodger Cardinal game at Dodger Stadium, my son wanted to wear Cardinal gear. And I said, can't do that. I'm an elected official. Like, so you can wear a Dodger hat and a Cardinal shirt so you could see your little, you know. And, of course, uh, Senator then council member Alex Padilla was throwing the first pitch and he texted me from you know there um, on the near the mound um, and telling me is your son wearing a cardinal shirt (laughs) I thought I might have gotten away with it but I did not but we are a mixed family well first I want to tell you that mixed is fine and good but the fact that then council member Padilla could see it was pretty impressive exactly pretty impressive (laughs) Um, I'm not sure if it says a lot about his like intelligence or just his passion for the Dodgers so now we're going to do a very quick round of a game called kiss Mary trash some people know it with much greater language but uh, stronger language but it's basically I'm going to give you three things and you get to rate them as what you would kiss what you would marry what you would trash you can comment or you can just straight say them and see how it goes so if you were going to take a vacation would you want to go to the ocean the desert mountains how do you rate those I would say kiss ocean marry the desert trash the mountains okay and if you were going to go out for a fun family, ping pong, miniature golf, bowling. Bowling, miniature golf, ping pong. So trash would be the ping pong. Okay. If you were going to relax, what would you do? Netflix, reading, meditating. 
Netflix would be Kiss, Mary would be Book, and Trashing the Meditation. <laughs> okay. But Mary, you know, the book and the and Netflix are kind of close. But okay, good. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. Breakfast. Breakfast would be first. Dinner would be second. Lunch would be third. Got it. Okay, this is a really hard one. Pasta, fusilli, penne, spaghetti. Oh, fusilli, penne, trash the spaghetti. Okay, I still like you. Sports. <laughs> Messy. This is, this is gonna be a hard one. Basketball, hockey, football. Hockey, definitely kiss. Number one. Second would be f- football, and then basketball would be trash. Okay. We won't tell anybody in the basketball world no. anything further. I love the Kings. I like Ellie King, so I'm a big hockey fan. I know. Okay. This is my last question, and this is what I've asked people at the end of each conversation. What is your definition of joy? What brings you joy? And how does joy spread if somebody has joy? How do they spread it with others? I don't, my definition of joy is is helping others. I know that may sound you know kind of corny, but there's no better joy than on a Christmas morning when my husband and son and I get up and we go to LA Family Housing and we make breakfast for all of the residents of the facility. And seeing the joy on their face, seeing the lessons that my son was has been learning since he was little and serving and helping and realizing that we are very blessed to be who we are, yes. that brings me amazing joy. And when I'm involved, as you know, and I'm a joiner and all these different things on nonprofit boards and others, it is about that helping people. So that that brings me brings me complete joy. And it could be it's just someone I helped on the street. It doesn't have to be acknowledged by anyone or anything. It's just that seeing that person appreciate it. And your personal fulfillment. And my personal fulfillment. You mean joy more than that? What makes me feel good? No, I'm saying you have a personal fulfillment from doing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I can remember those times where I was there helping somebody. And that's what I like to do every single day. Yeah. Well, thank you. In the spirit of all you've done and you continue to do for everyone and thinking about Dolores Huerta and and just knowing that you are both women that are making changes and will always be there and in many ways planting seeds that other people will benefit from the shade that those trees provide. I just want to say thank you and si se puede, you will continue because yes you can, yes we all can and thank you so much for being here. Hi, it's Liz. Please join me every Tuesday for coffee to talk about heart and humanity with our elected leaders. Ciao.